0: So let's talk a little bit about medicine and Judaism. Everyone knows that there are a lot of Jewish doctors. It is a Jewish mother's pride uh, when her son becomes a doctor, apparently. um, And Jewish doctors were around for a long time. So we're just going to talk about how Jews became doctors. So as we said in this week's Torah portion, the Torah tells us that if we follow God's commandments, we won't have the diseases of Egypt which is presumably an allusion to the ten plagues. But rather, God will heal us, right? Which implies that our healing comes from God. And we also find that throughout Scripture, we find this concept of people being sick and turning to God in prayer. So we're told early, early in Scripture that um Melech, the king of the Philistines, is, uh, becomes sick after having kidnapped Abraham's wife Sarah. And then when he returns her... He, um, Abraham prays for him to become better. We find Miriam becomes sick. She has this disease called saras. And when Miriam Moses' sister becomes sick, she uh, Moses prays for her and asks God to heal her. So we find this concept of um, uh, we find this concept of prayer um, that people pray often to um, uh, when they're sick. We find sometimes that prophets take certain specific actions, not medical actions, but kind of spiritual actions to heal people. Um, at one point, the desert snakes were biting people, and Moses makes a copper snake for people to look at, and when they look at the snake, they get better. Um, the Talmud says it doesn't, there wasn't a snake that had magical powers, but the snake was a reminder that it's not the snake that kills, but it's God that kills and the snake was a reminder to pray to God. Um, in, yes? Isn't it almost like idolatry? Mm-hmm. I mean. Well, the snake was a reminder. That's what the Talmud says. It wasn't idolatry, because the snake was a reminder Mind. to pray to God. It wasn't a, that the snake itself heals. Um, then we're, we're told in Scripture, um, there was a um, general of Aram. Aram is the original Syria. It was once called Aram. And um, there was a general of Aram called Naama, who... Um, had also this disease called Tzaraas, which was a skin disease. And he comes to the prophet Elisha, who lived in Shomron in Samaria, the capital of northern Israel. And he asks him to heal him. Um, if not, he threatens war with Israel. He's the general. Um, and so Elisha tells him, go, go, immerse yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And he says, I've immersed myself in the best springs of Damascus. I thought you would recite some words and make me better. And uh, his um, servants tell him, no, go, listen to the prophet. Maybe he knows what he's talking about. And so uh, he goes down to the Jordan, and he immerses himself seven times, and he comes out, and he's all better. Well, there was a king of Judah, King Chizkiyahu, who is sick. And when King Chizkiyahu is sick, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, comes to him, and he gives him dried figs. and He gets better. So uh, some of our prophets sometimes use these kind of did these things that made people better. They obviously were not meant to be medicinal; they were meant to be kind of these spiritual forms of healing. So we see this concept of um, turning to God in prayer or uh, invoking God when somebody is sick, rather than turning to medicine. And in fact, the only time doctors are mentioned in Scripture is with regard to King Asa. King Asa was the fifth king of Judah which is southern Israel, and King Asa, or the fifth king of the house of David, and uh, he's, he ha- he's sick with his legs. He cannot walk, we're told. And he went to doctors rather than turning to God in prayer. And because of that, he didn't get better. He didn't turn to God. So this may give the impression that Judaism does not encourage medis- um, practice of medicine. But the truth is that Judaism does this, encourage the practice of medicine. And our sages bring a very interesting scriptural proof, although scripture doesn't mention medicine anywhere, or doctors, but they bring a very simple scriptural proof um, that we do believe in medicine. The Torah tells us if someone hurts somebody else, you've got to pay for different types of damages. You've got to pay for the value of the damage. You broke their leg got to pay whatever a broken leg is worth, um, the value of the damages, you've got to pay them for their suffering, you've got to pay them for the embarrassment, if there was embarrassment incurred, and then you've got to pay them for the loss of earnings, if they lost earnings, and then you also have to pay their medical bills. Now, if you pay their medical bills, we obviously encourage you to seek medicinal help, right? If medicinal help is not valued in Judaism, why would we make someone who hurt somebody else pay medical bills? So that is clearly evidence that we do value medicinal help in Judaism. We do value doctors. But it doesn't mean that we should become them rather than to seek them out. We should seek doctors. That's so why then... you understand the question? Why then did... Why then was Asa punished for not asking God... His problem was that he only went to doctors and didn't ask God. But what we're supposed to do is, we are supposed to do both. We're supposed to seek out medical advice and at the same time, turn to God for help. And so while Scripture doesn't detail describe um, seeking out medical advice, but we, we, we really should do both. In Scripture, we're told that there was a book of medicine called Sefer Harufawot in the days of King Chizkiyahu. And King Chizkiyahu hid the Sefer of the medical book that they had at the time. And so, which would imply, and it says that the sages were very, the rabbis at the time were very happy that he hid the medical book. The Talmud tells us the rabbis were happy that he hid the medical book. Why would that be good? Do we, after all, not need doctors? So, some suggest this would imply that we should just rely on God. We shouldn't use medicine. But Maimonides, who was himself a doctor, um, says, no, that's not what it means. The medical book was not a book of medical help. It was a book of superstitions. If you do this, then this happens. If you do that, then that happens. It wasn't made based on medical observation, but it was rather kind of these idolatrous superstitions. And so we believe in, so to sum it up, we believe that, You must, when you're sick, you have to ask God to help you. We do believe in prayer. On the other hand, we also believe in seeking medical help based on natural cures, based on observation, what we've observed works for different uh, maladies, uh, find remedies that work. So we believe that you need both. And this is similar to um, our financial needs. We believe you have to turn to God for your financial help. At the same time, you are expected to work, to to um, take care of yourself financially. You cannot just turn to God. So we have this balance of both. Um, we, we have this balance of both uh, believing in, relying on God, while also using natural means. Now there were a lot of cultures and religions that just believed in relying on God. And there still are, still are some cults like that today. There are even some Jewish cults, not non-traditional Jewish cults um, that believed in that over the years. But traditional Judaism has always believed that we do have to use natural means to heal ourselves. At the same time, we have to also turn to God as well. So we have to do both. Use natural means to heal ourselves, turn to God, and you uh, can't do one without the other. But We're only supposed to use natural means to heal ourselves. We're not supposed to use superstitions Superstitions, um, in Judaism. In general, Judaism forbids all forms of superstitions, magic. In other words, if you say, if you do this, then that happens. And it's not based based on observation, but it's rather based on... kind of a, some spiritual power, or some supernatural powers, um, we believe that, uh, we don't believe in that. So unless there's a direct correlation between the two, um, we believe that it has to be rather observed medicine, that we know really works, that we have reason to believe actually works. And so, um, so in Judaism, in that sense, medicine is not a religious thing at all. So in many cultures, many ancient cultures, it was medicine and religion went together where it was the priests that would heal people and essentially they would use supernatural powers to heal people. In Judaism, while the prophets, as we said, did heal people or they would go to prophets or rabbis or scholars or saints to pray on your behalf and you're allowed to ask somebody else to pray for you. Um, they, at the same time, we don't rely on prophets to heal you, but we rely on natural means. So You've got to find natural means. Um, to heal yourself. Um, and um, and the, the Midrash actually tells us a, an interesting tale along those lines. It tells us that two great sages, Rabbi Ishmael and Rabbi Akiva, met someone who was sick. And the fellow turns to them and says, what should I, I'm sick, what do I do? And he describes his sickness. And they, who apparently had some background in medicine, say, well, take this, this, and this, and it will heal you. And so he said... Why would I do that? Who made me sick? And they said, God, of course. So he, the sick man says, Well, God, who made me sick should make me better. And they say, Well, God will make you better, but He expects you to heal yourself. He expects you to take care of yourself as well. So, um, so we are commanded then to take care of ourselves and pray to God, but only observe, a medicine, not invoke supernatural means. Um, or magical means, and also not just randomly do things that people say, but only things that we have observed to have worked. Um, so, Judaism um, really not only so, uh, so, so, in that sense, we do value medicine in Judaism. But not only do we approve going to doctors, but we actually feel practicing medicine and Taking advantage of medicine is extremely important in Judaism and it's actually a mitzvah. And the reason is because we're commanded to guard our life. The Torah says, You must guard your life. You must protect your life. Which means you have to protect your health. It's a mitzvah to be healthy. We are required, required to ensure that we are healthy. So if you get sick, It's a mitzvah to make yourself healthy. We're commanded to make ourselves healthy. So therefore, you must seek out medical advice. To the extent that Talmud says it's forbidden to live in a town without a doctor. Because if you get sick, you won't be able to make yourself healthy. So therefore therefore, it's important to seek medical advice. If you know how to heal someone, it's important to... It's a mitzvah to employ that advice. And it would be part of the mitzvah of HaShavat aveida. HaShavat Aveda is returning a lost object. Returning a lost object means if somebody loses something you, and you find it, you've got to give it back to them. So our sages say that this is, does not only if someone returns a lost object. Anytime you have the opportunity to help somebody, as part of the mitzvah of Hashabata Avidar, Returning Lost Object, you've got to help somebody in any situation you can. Now, this is particularly true if someone's life is in danger, because we have a mitzvah of Lot <laughs> Reacha do not stand by your friends, by your fellows' blood. If you see someone drowning, you're not allowed to stand there. You've got to jump in and save them. So, if you see someone, if you have the opportunity to save someone's life, you have an obligation to save them. So, we both have an obligation to save a life. We also have an obligation to help people in need. So somebody who has the ability to, who has medical knowledge, and has the ability to um, help others, has the requirement to do so. So while we are not required to become doctors, if you become a doctor and can help people, you are fulfilling a mitzvah. You are fulfilling a commandment when you are able to, and therefore we, we need doctors as a society, and every town needs a doctor, and we need at least some of our people to become doctors. But that's why in Torah we had very great, um, we have great respect for doctors. One of the interesting books that we have from biblical period that didn't make it into the Bible or into the Tanakh. So our Tanakh has 24 books in it, the five <coughs> books of Moses and 19 other books that we consider holy. There are other books from that period that we didn't put into the Tanakh. Talmud says because they had some foolish stuff also. <coughs> so some, some Christian groups threw those things in as well into their into their um, Bible. But we don't have it as part of our Tanakh. One such book is a book called Ben Sirah. Ben Sirah is very similar. We have a book called Proverbs Mishle in Tanakh. We're going to do a class on Tanakh hopefully soon. We have it as one of our things. It's already there. Um, so we have a book called Proverbs. There's another book called Ben Seer, which is also Proverbs, good wise sayings. The Talmud says it's got a few foolish things in there. But it's still a good book. It has a lot of good stuff, a couple of foolish things, so therefore it wasn't considered holy because it has foolish things. But um, over there it speaks in detail about the importance of <laughs> um, respecting doctors, valuing doctors, the value of medicine, <laughs> and how important medicine is for us. Yes, Stephen. So cool view of doctors being um, thought of as getting you out of trouble when you're sick, in today's day and age, we also categorize folks like personal trainers and nutritionalists and dietitians in that category as well, because they're all on the preventive side, and they maintain health. That's a good question. I would think so. I would think anyone who's helping you, uh, and it's a mitzvah to help people, any way you can help them. is also a mitzvah to take care of your health. Um, so it is a mitzvah to take care of your health. <coughs> now, there's obviously limits to that. One should not be obsessed with health um, because um, over-obsessing with health uh, itself is unhealthy. Uh, and so and, uh, <laughs> it could be a problem. Uh, remember, health is not really an end in itself. It's a means to an end. You want to be healthy to live. You don't live to be healthy. So it's important to always keep that in mind. But it is good to be healthy, and with a mitzvah to be so, um, so, anyway, so we do value not only, so not only do we believe in medicine but we value doctors medical advice and as we said you have to you don't let it live in a place where there is no doctor you have to be able to heal yourself um, now there is a statement in the Talmud that contradicts this the, the Talmud says the best of the doctors go to Gehenna go to hell <laughs> the best of the doctors go to hell go to hell that's what the Talmud says. So, so, so the Talmud, so the reason, so the um, Maimonides explains and he himself was a doctor, yeah. so he explains that the reason why the best of the doctors go to hell is because of the dangers in medicine. So, unlike somebody who's in a different field, if you're a tailor and you mess up, it's no big deal. Right? Most other fields, a little negligence, if you're having a bad day or a lazy day, not the end of the world. Doctors have life and death in their hands. So doctors cannot afford to make any mistakes or be negligent or be... Um, so normally, in your a normal profession, a regular profession, if you're a little, um, you know, you have a bad day, it's no big deal. But if you're a doctor having a bad day, you're responsible for the person who lost their life as a result. So therefore, because it's difficult even for the best doctors to always be their best and um, not to sometimes be negligent, therefore even good doctors are usually guilty of some negligence and responsible. So while it's a very valuable job, it's also, if you will, a very dangerous job. Because it's very... Sorry? I think ultimately it means that they That's they're the best, I, I, I it, it means that d- even the best do. doctors are responsible for loss of life or health mm-hmm. problems mm-hmm. that people have because they've caused but health I mean, problems scale, right? yeah mean, it's, it's good yeah. to be a doctor my money says even so it's still good to be a doctor he strongly encourages it. remember he himself was a doctor he, it's still good to be a doctor and it doesn't mean that one should not be doctors we need doctors but it's just a reminder to doctors, you've got to be super careful. You've got to be the best. You've got to always be perfect. Other professions, you don't have to, doesn't, don't require constant perfection. Medicine, if you're in medicine, it requires constant perfection. There's no room for error when it comes to medicine. Right? Uh, someone in medicine can tell us that, right? Especially if you're in um, medicine that involves, um, respiratory medicine involves lives. You, you, there's no room for error. You've got to be 100% always uh, on the ball. So. There is a question over there. Sorry? There is a question over here. Yes. Shall I need mushroom? Sure, quick. The most dangerous, the the worst people are in Gehenna, are in hell. So the doctors have to go to hell in yeah, order to heal the to heal the very sick people. That's his thoughts. Okay. So I don't. Know. So. <laughs> they can still go to heaven. I mean, if they're mindful. Yeah. So he, my money says it doesn't mean literally they're going to go to hell. It means that it's a very yeah, yeah. dangerous profession. You've got to be, be very mindful. Okay. So. So, um, so now medicine of old, as we know, wasn't all that great compared to medicine today. Um, th- th- we don't really know what worked, and that's mostly because what really changed in medicine was we developed a scientific method. In other words, in the nineteenth century, we developed a method to be able to test whether, objectively, whether different remedies actually work or not. Um, we also, I mean, we also got better in molecular biology and uh, in chemistry and everything else. But part of what happened is we learned to actually test: does this remedy work? And we learned how to do kind of extensive testing and objective testing uh, with placebos and know does this medical procedure or does this medicine actually work or not? Um, but we did have medical knowledge, and sometimes we dismiss all medicine prior to the nineteenth century there was some, quite a lot of medical knowledge beforehand as well. And um, similar, while they didn't have the scientific method before the 19th century, most medicine was made by observation. And most medical uh, most most medical remedies were made by observation over thousands of years. So in other words, doctors tried different things. They discovered that when you do this, this happens, and when you do that, that happens. And so observations, while it wasn't as foolproof as... Our system today, which is still not totally foolproof, but much, much better, um, they still most medicine was developed over the years by observation, which is why they were somewhat accurate. They didn't know what they were doing, and we know that a lot of the re- the traditional remedies tended to have some value. Maybe not as much as today, but they, they were valuable. Um, so when we speak of um, when we speak of remedies, we. Um, Well, the the remedies that they had were remedies that did have some value, though by today's standards would not have much value. Um, The Talmud itself actually has many, many remedies for all sorts of different things mentioned in it. Um, Most of those remedies would no longer be considered valid by modern medicine, Um, but that was the best that they knew at the time based on their observation and experience. Um, It could also be that things that worked then didn't work today. Diseases evolve over time. They may have had diseases then that we don't have today. Um, People evolved over time. We don't know how people have evolved over. We've only been observing people scientifically for 200 years. We don't know how people actually evolved over thousands of years. Um, So it could be people evolved. but But when we speak of medicine, we're supposed to use the best remedies available currently rather than focusing on the medicines that they suggested 2,000 years ago or 1,500 years ago in the Talmud, or that Maimonides wrote, he was a great doctor in his time 800 years ago, we rather should be focused on, we should, we, when we say medicine, we mean the best known medicine at the time. One should use the best, um, the, uh, the best scientific method that we have today, uh, which is obviously much better than what they had then. Um, we still believe, even there's a lot of medicines mentioned in the Talmud, Talmud, Speaks about all sorts of different remedies, even if they no longer apply, um, they were the best that they had. Um, we also believe that all of Torah is divinely inspired. After all, it's God's Torah, and He, we, since we believe God is in control of the world, God is also in control of the e- evolution of Torah. So, the Torah is divinely inspired, and therefore, um, even remedies that don't have any value may still have in their practical application may still have mystical value um, in. Uh, the, uh, as described in the Talmud, they still have may have spiritual value. So, so a little bit about uh, moving on. A little bit about um, how medicine evolved in Judaism. So, the Torah itself mentions a number of diseases, and most of the diseases mentioned in the Torah are as punishment. If you don't do what God says, you're going to get this, this, and this disease. So um, there's a number of diseases, diseases mentioned in punishments, but we do have diseases mentioned in the Torah. Our oral tradition had extensive information about biology. Why? Because there's a number of laws in Judaism that require biology. Firstly, in the temple service, we used animals for sacrifice. The animals that were used for sacrifice had to be perfect without blemish. So we had to know what's normal for animals, what's not. Also, the people serving in the temple also could not have any blemish. They had to have perfect bodies. So they, um, so we had to know what's normal and what's not. They couldn't be unhealthy, the people who were, um, who were serving in the temple. We also have a unique law with regard to meat that we eat. All meat that we eat must be healthy. Any animal that is considered a trefa torn, considered unhealthy, cannot be eaten. And so there's a whole long list of over 100 possible defects that an animal can have on its internal or external organs that make an animal not kosher. And in fact, even today, as we slaughter meat, you have to check the animal to make sure it's not a trefa, to make sure it doesn't have defects. Most common defects are on the lungs. We have to check the lungs to make sure that the lungs are smooth and straight and that there are no holes in the lungs um, or the animal is considered trefa and the animal is not kosher. And um, a significant percentage of animals that are slaughtered, even after slaughter, are found not to be kosher because of defects that they have. So because of these rules, we had to know animal biology. We had to know how animals worked. And the Talmud has a lot of great extensive information about the health of animals. We also have another, because the Torah says you have to be healthy, so we are required to do things to make sure we are healthy. So the Talmud has a long list of laws of things we must keep away from because of health. Don't do things that are dangerous. Um, So The Talmud has long lists of things that we have to do. Um, One example is don't drink uncovered water, water that has been uncovered, is forbidden to drink um, because of danger. Uh, water that has um, sat in a metal container is unhealthy because of danger. You know, now it would get rust in it. Um, the and, so, and so there's all sorts of things that we're forbidden to eat, forbidden to do, because those things are dangerous to us. Um, now... Interestingly, we always had the, um, now the the we also had rule, the important rules in Judaism of hygiene. Now there were a couple of different reasons for our rules of hygiene. Um, some of it was not medical based. Some of it was ritual based. For example, before we wash our hand, before we eat bread, we're required to always wash our hands. Right, the washing the hands was a ritual because of the laws of tuma and tara, ritual impurity that they kept during the days of the temple. That's why they wash their hands. Of course, it adds to our hygiene. Right. We also had mikveh. A um, person who was ritually impure would go to a mikveh. Um, if it would add to our hygiene, but it was more of a ritual. It was more of a ritual thing. We also had um, laws um, of hygiene that in, uh, we, also, we also. But we also had laws of hygiene that were actually more um, hygiene related. The Torah itself tells us that um, when going to the bathroom, one must take a shovel with them outside the camp. They're in the desert. Take a shovel with you. Don't leave feces lying around. You know, something that today seems obvious, but then it wasn't so obvious, right? Not only that, we're forbidden to pray or study um, in front of feces or even in a place that smells. Um, we weren't. Uh, we also. We're not allowed to leave. um, We also were not supposed to leave our garbage lying around because this was really because of ritual laws, because of um, to keep rodents away. Rodents were ritually unclean, uh, impure, and would make us tame ritually impure. Uh, We also um, were required, uh, but then we also had uh, we also required to wash ourselves, bathe every week before Shabbat. Today it's hard to imagine, but bathing once a week was a big uh, was a step up from those who didn't bathe at all. <laughs> it's hard to imagine, but we're also told specific laws, uh, other specific laws of hygiene to wash your hands and feet daily, to wash before wash, your, make sure your hands are clean before eating, make sure your hands are clean before prayer. Um, people don't not to go to crowded places. So we're told rules of hygiene, and hygiene was always very important, and um, we always considered being clean as kind of a, a value in Judaism. And so with, and we knew that um, dirt led to disease. So our sages had, had a sense of that. And for that reason, um, that often led to Jews being much healthier than our neighbors. The Romans were somewhat hygienic too, but once we moved to Europe, the Europeans were not hygienic at all in the Middle Ages. Um, totally they had no sense of hygiene. We Jews were very hygienic, Even though we lived in very, very crowded ghettos, our crowded ghettos were much cleaner than the neighborhoods around us. And so often when disease would strike, which very often did, plague would strike, the Jews didn't die from the plague. Right? Because they were, uh, they were cleaning everything. We, also don't, uh, we didn't leave water overnight. We, didn't, um, we were always washing our hands. Uh, we were always showering so because of that we, we, did, we didn't die as much and that led to a lot of jealousy in the black death um, that, hit Euro- that hit Europe in the 1300s um, Jews uh, Jews generally didn't die when whole towns were wiped out and so they believed that we caused it and um, then, they would, then there would be pogroms and they would kill the Jews for it, for having caused many of these diseases, but we'd be, the reason we know now is because we were much more hygienic than they were we were much, much better with hygiene. Now, so besides, besides the hygiene, though, um, in addition to that, um, we don't find, like I said, we don't find doctors in the, Talmud, in the Torah itself, in Tanakh, but we do find in the Talmud many doctors. It mentions many doctors. And in fact, many of our sages became doctors. So many of the rabbis and the spiritual leaders were doctors as well. And um, perhaps those famous of the Talmudic era sages was Marshmuel Yarchina. Marshmuel was um, came from Babylon. Um, he studied he went to the land of Israel where he studied under Rebbe, who was the author of the Mishnah. This is in the early two hundreds. And then over there we're told that Rebbe had an eye disease and Shmuel gave him things to heal his eye disease. Later he came back to um, later he moved back to Nahardaa. Naharda was um, the kind of center of Jewish life in Babylon on the Euphrates River um, and um, he later actually became the personal physician of the Persian emperor his name was Shav- Shavar Malka he was his personal physician so, and he mentions, he, he actually speaks a lot in the Talmud about hygiene and he mentions medicine many times the importance of being clean he also mentions that um, disease often travels with caravans from town to town from place to place so they, um, they knew that as well um, so uh, the first, now the first Jewish medical book that we have is a book called Sefer Rufuah. Sefer Rufua was written in the early Gaonic period in the five or six hundreds um, and it was written by a fellow called Asaf Harofe. Asaf the doctor and Asaf Harofe together with a couple um, other doctors living in Babylon established a Jewish medical school the first Jewish medical school that we knew, that we know of. And his book, the Sefer Refua, the Book of Healing, which was written in Hebrew, was the textbook that they used in their medical school. And actually interesting, um, includes Shfuat Asaf, or the Oath of Asaf, which is essentially a a Hippocratic Oath, um, based on the original Hippocratic Oath, but adding in a lot of Jewish values to it. So... um, uh, and so uh, that was written about in the five or six hundreds. And so Jews have both practiced medicine, taught medicine to each other privately, and we've had medical schools, schools to teach medicine, uh, really throughout our history. Um, it, and this was, and the Hebrew was always an important language of medicine. Later, after the Arab conquest, the Arabs got very into medicine. There were a lot of great Arab doctors. They translated most of the early Greek works in medicine into Arabic. Um, Jews were, in Europe Jews made great doctors, firstly they were able to read the Hebrew books of medicine Christians didn't know how to read Hebrew, and most educated European Jews spoke Arabic Arabic was then the language of educated people, because all the big universities were in Arabic lands so all the educated Jews spoke Arabic in France and Spain and Italy, they all spoke Arabic and so they were able to also study uh, Arabic textbooks so in Europe, Jews, all the doctors were Jewish. Um, even in Muslim lands, most doctors, a lot of doctors were Jewish as well. Um, we also we had to establish our own medical schools. Um, in Christian lands, Christians didn't really have too many doctors. A lot of Christians didn't even believe in doctors um, in a lot of Christian areas. Um, but um, and also they where they did have schools, they wouldn't let us in. So we had to then establish our own medical school. So we had many Jewish famous doctors. Um, most of them were also great scholars. And um, in those days, um, it was common for someone to study you know, astronomy and medicine and philosophy. And you, kinda, you study, if you were educated, you studied everything. So um, we have perhaps most famous is Re- Yehuda Halevi. Rabbi Yehuda Halevi, who lived in Barcelona in the 1100s. And he was, um, uh, he was a physician, in addition to being a great rabbi. Um, Maimonides, of course, is probably the most famous Jewish doctor. He wrote a number of medical works. He lived in Cairo, where he was the personal physician of the um, Sultan of um, Egypt. And he was the... Um, a, uh, and uh, he, of course, was also a great spiritual leader. Uh, Rabbi Levi ben Gershon lived in Toledo, known as Bagh. He was also a great Jewish thinker, and as well as a great doctor. And so um, over the years, Jews always practiced medicine. Um, we had our own doctors. We had our own medical schools um, throughout Europe, throughout the Middle East. Um, and often non-Jews would come to us for medicine. Um, as Christians built universities, of course, they didn't generally let Jews in. So we taught medicine ourselves. Uh, but beginning in the mid-19th century, Jews started going, they started letting Jews into um, into universities at the public universities in Europe, and so Jews started going to medical schools, uh, where they, um, where very quickly medical schools had a very large number of Jews, and uh, Jews be, um, began to, um, and uh, and uh, as we said, it had always been a Jewish field, but now we were kind of studying instead of studying ourselves and having our own schools, we were studying with everybody, and uh, Jews continued to practice medicine. So it's not that Jews just recently started practicing medicine; we've actually been doing it always always been a value in Judaism, and uh, we've always been practicing medicine. So, just to finish off, the, so medicine is central to Judaism. It's important. We've always had Jewish doctors, um, and often went with scholarships. Scholars became doctors as well. We value medicine, or well, we value asking God for help. We value medicine as well. It's important to remember though that Jewish values also sometimes conflict with medicine. So there could be Jewish ethical problems. There could be times when when our Jewish values will tell us different than what you know, standard medicine says. Um, for one, um, we do anything to save a life. However, if a life, and we can do anything medically to save a life necessary, even if we'd be transgressing our commandments. However, if a life is not in danger, we have to keep all of our commandments. So we cannot transgress commandments when a life is not in danger. So it's important to remember that. So not always can we do everything medically if lives are not in danger. Um, We also have have unique ethical rules that we have to follow in practicing medicine. Um, Perhaps most important is the value that we place on life. A lot of modern philosophy is utilitarian. In other words, you only value things based on how much you get out of it. So we only value a life based on how much you could get out of that life. Um, Judaism puts infinite value on life. So often, while medicine will say one thing, Jewish ethics will say to take a different approach because we, have, we, put, we put so much more value on life. Um, Does that euthanasia? We definitely forbid euthanasia. It gets more complicated when you're just withholding treatments, and then we've done classes on it, but it's, it's a whole complicated field. Uh, but just important to remember that we have those differences. Um, we also have a big difference after death. We have a rule tr- that we have to treat the dead with respect, and we have to bury them. And so this is a problem um, for medical research, because we, um, we have problems with medical research with cadavers because of the respect we need for dead, um, as well as the training that that they do in medical school with cadavers. It's also somewhat problematic in Jewish law. It can sometimes be done, With um, proper guidance, if it's done in the right way, but definitely the way that it's generally done today in medical schools does not follow the Jewish values and respect for the dead. So it's important to remember those differences that we do have within medicine. But medicine has always been very important in Judaism. While we rely on God, we rely on doctors as well. And um, many of the greatest discoveries in medicine in the last 200 years have been made by Jews. (coughs) Jews have been, um, I think, 20% of all Nobel Prize. Prizes in medicine have gone to Jews. So uh, Jews have made a lot of great discoveries in medicine, and we've always made great doctors. um, And we still do, and that's because medicine is an important value. uh, Saving a life and uh, making people healthy are all important values in Judaism.